0: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, I feel like we're going to be so redundant even saying this, because (laughs) our listeners are about to hear... Our intro all over again.
1: Well, but it's great that you're going to hear it again because it's actually
0: interactive and and kind of special. It's very special. So today you're going to hear our live Stuff Mom Never Told You show from South by Southwest. And to any of you who are listening to this right now who were there at Speakeasy in downtown Austin, thank you so much for coming. It was A ton of fun. It
1: was a ton of fun.
0: And it was, it's always so great to meet you guys.
1: Um, and to remember that there are amazing people out there, men and women alike who listen to us, that it's not just us in this padded cell of a recording studio. And I was so glad that so many people got to hear all of the amazing things that our guest, Nicole
0: Cabrera, had to say. And since Nicole's going to introduce herself in the live show in which we talk about sexism and science communication with a focus on astronomy for a reason that will make itself very known very soon. Caroline, should we just dive right in?
1: Let's dive right in.
0: All right, folks. So here you go. Live from South by Southwest. It's stuff mom never told you. This is being recorded. We're going to start, we're really just going to pretend that we're all in the Stuff Mom Never Told You studio together. Yeah. Although be glad that we aren't because it's a tiny room. It would be so It would be sweaty. very <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, but this is our Stuff Mom Never Told You studio today. And we're going to start our show the same way we start all of our podcasts. We're going to say our names. And then when I point to you, say, and I'm, and then say your name. And it'll sound, you know, just like
1: it'll be a mess, a sorry. hot mess. We're gonna—you'll love it. It's gonna add to the effect.
0: All right, you ready?
1: I'm holding this like it's a steering wheel. Let's do it.
0: Okay, cool. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen and I'm Caroline and I'm Nicole. <laughs> I caught all of those yeah, names, and I'll remember every one of them. That's so good. Yeah. Uh, so today we're talking about sexism and science communication and. We're gonna let Nicole talk a little bit about um, why it's so relevant to talking about it here at South by Southwest Interactive because technology is a huge part of these conversations that are going on. So first of all, Nicole, would you just introduce yourself to our wonderful audience?
2: Sure, my name is Nicole Cabrera Salazar and I am a PhD student at Georgia State University. I study astronomy and if everything goes well, I'll be graduating with my PhD at the end of this year.
1: So I will be Doctor Cabrera Salazar. Heck yeah! Yep. And so, tell us why. Beyond just hanging out with us, you're here at South by. This is actually the reason. I'm oh. oh okay. <laughs> I flew all this
2: way. Um, well, I have a panel um, that's uh, it's not just my panel, actually, but Jen Goldbeck, um, who's a TED fellow, and my friend uh, Summer Ash. We're doing a panel tomorrow at, I think, 5 o'clock, if I'm not mistaken, on, um, it's called the hashtag distractingly sexy, and it has to do with how to fight science sexism on social media. Um, and we're going to talk about all the different Twitter campaigns that have started to fight all of the science sexism that y'all have been hearing about recently.
0: Yeah, so we're going to kind of give a little intro to some of that stuff that you're going to be talking about even more in depth. Tomorrow. Um, but first we want to tell our meet cute story yeah. with Nicole because it involves a wonderful email to momstuff at yeah, Where
1: you can also email us cute things. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, so we had done a two part episode on
0: women in astronomy. We got really into it. It was originally going to be one episode, but then we had to make it two. It can't be contained. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: Stars. because it's that much sexism. Um, so we got this email from a fabulous lady named Nicole. And she said, you mentioned in your podcast that you were wondering if there would be any lady Neil deGrasse Tyson's anytime soon. It just so happens that I'm getting my Ph.D. in astronomy, <laughs> graduating next year, and I'll be going into astronomy education and public outreach. Sorry if this is embarrassing. <laughs> uh, the same sort of thing Neil deGrasse Tyson does, just on a smaller scale. I'm not sure if I'll ever achieve this kind of fame, but I'm super passionate about making astronomy accessible to everyone, and I want to focus my career on encouraging women and minorities to pursue STEM careers.
2: That's right.
0: That's so right. how could we not reach out to Nicole also because she was in Atlanta and be like hey let 's be friends yeah. and let 's talk in Austin um, and Nicole has a fantastic TED talk that you should absolutely watch after this, and I because i 'm creepy, was watching it this morning no, while I was doing man. my hair yeah, I was yeah, I am a fan, yeah, not too stalky no. um, and one thing that jumped out to me, Nicole, was how you were talking about um, being a feminist since you were 11, which I was like, dang, impressive. <laughs> um, but it wasn't until you really started pursuing STEM education, higher education, that it awakened more of your intersectional awareness and the activism that you're focused on now. So could you just kind of take us through your journey with that?
2: Sure. Um, so I did talk about this a little bit in my, in my talk, and it's that... Um, There's a lot of machismo. I grew up in Miami, so a lot of Hispanic people. Um, I grew up in a place, yeah, somebody from Miami is here. Um, I was not the minority, right? Um, My high school, I think, I might have known maybe two white people growing up, and that was just normal for me. Um, And it was actually um, not until I came to Atlanta. I I went to a community college first, uh, Miami Dade College, which was fantastic. And then I transferred to Georgia Tech, which was my high school physics teacher's alma mater. And I wanted to go there because he went there. Um and then when I moved to Atlanta I very quickly realized that I was a minority there. Um and and that was really shocking for me. It was a huge culture shock. So I had I had been a feminist since I was young because, you know, I had recognized all of the shit that women have to go through um, in my culture. But um, but as far as, you know, my race being any part of that, I just wasn't aware until I had to, you know, especially at Georgia Tech where there are just very few women <laughs> and very few minorities um, compared to the demographic of Atlanta, compared to the demographic of the United States. So that was just a huge uh, shock for me. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, tell us about how, what led you to astronomy in the first place?
2: Well, um, so in high school, I had this really encouraging um, physics teacher um, who was amazing, and he saw my potential, and um, and he nurtured that. And so I decided I wanted to be in physics, so I went to Georgia Tech, and I studied physics. And while I was there... Um, My first semester there, I had an astronomy class, and it was awesome, and I thought, this is amazing. So I started doing research with my uh, astronomy professor. And he said, you know, you should apply for summer internships. The National Science Foundation, um, they fund these um, internships over the summer, and you go, and they pay you. And so I applied to 10 different ones that year, and I got into just one, and it was in Hawaii. So, of course, I wasn't going to turn that down, and I got to live in Hawaii for three months. I got to go up to the telescopes and use the telescopes. I got to do full-time astronomy research, and I was like, yeah, I could I could do this (laughs) for life. So that's how I decided to go into astronomy. And then, of course, I applied to grad school, and
1: here I am. Well, so, but what is the intersection, though? I mean, we are talking about intersectionality, but um, <laughs> what is the intersection of you studying astronomy mm-hmm. and getting into the sciences and realizing, oh, wait, I actually want to go over to the uh, advocacy activist arena? Right. So I had, uh, as soon as I came
2: to Atlanta and I started my um, bachelor's in physics, I realized that not only was I the only woman in all of my physics classes, but I was also the only minority. Um, so it was all white dudes and me. And that can be really intimidating, and I was just super aware of that. And so I wanted to connect with other women, and I always had been passionate about science education and just like telling people about astronomy because it's so cool. And I just focused a lot of that energy trying to reach people like me. So because I I had a hard time Um, Going through that, um, the year that I graduated, I was the only woman graduating with a physics degree. um, And I'm pretty sure the only minority as well, just from Georgia Tech. And so that had a huge effect on me. And then grad school, I came in wanting to be a researcher. Um, I was there for, I think, four years. And after that, um, there there was just a lot of hardship that you have to go through, a lot of intimidating places and just... um, you have a different experience, I feel like, than than when you're a white dude who has tons of other white dudes around him validating his experience. Um, and I, I had a lot of just difficulties in my department um, or in my experience as a grad student that I always thought were like... Because I was a lady. Um, but then I realized that, um, some of the white women around me were not experiencing the same things, right? And so I was like, wow, like maybe race has something to do with it too. And so, uh, that was really shocking for me and, um, and also just knowing that the number of sacrifices I would have to make in my life in order to make it as a professor, right? Like you have to give so much up and you have to, you know, travel the world doing temporary research positions and then publishing lots of papers, and that means working around the clock and maybe putting off having a family and putting off, you know, having a good work-life balance. And I didn't want that. Um, and be, as a woman, you have to be much, much more competitive than your male counterparts in order to make it as far. And I just thought, you know, it's not worth it for me. I'm not, I might get to the end of that and be in my late 30s, early 40s, and there might not be a job for me, guaranteed. So, and then I'm gonna have to change careers at that point. I'd rather do something that I'm also passionate about and, um, that I can really dedicate my life to and sort of, um,
0: dictate the terms of. So in the process of all this, I'm curious if you, sort of found your community, people who had experienced similar things and probably felt similarly isolated at all?
2: Yeah, so um, it wasn't until last year, uh, not even a year ago, um, there was this huge, uh, hugely different conference that was started um, called Inclusive Astronomy. And it was the very first conference of its kind, and it had to do with, you know, we're going to talk about these issues, all the isms in astronomy, mm-hmm. ableism, sexism, racism, and how it affects our young scientists, and what what are we going to do about it, too. So it was this, like, three- or four-day conference. I took maybe seven grad students with me. Um, it was in Nashville. And, uh, over those three days, we learned about, you know, systemic racism. We learned about how sexism affects the numbers. And, uh, we also put together recommendations for the community, the astronomy community, in terms of universities, departments, the National Science Foundation, you know, NASA. How can, what can we recommend to them to make it better for people like me and for other people at other, at other intersections? Um, and so that, going to that conference, that was the first time I had met other Latina astronomers. Um, very first time, and and I'm, like, you know, very far along in my graduate career, and so that was a huge shock to me, and um, it just made me realize, like, wow, I haven't had this community this whole time. It has been very isolating, and I need to be able to to have that so that I can um, succeed.
0: And it seems like, to that point in the context of being here at South By, that social media and tech have facilitated some of that community-building Absolutely. As well,
2: Yes, yes. Because um, so a lot of these conversations you can't have in real life because most of your colleagues are they don't get it. Right. If they're not experiencing those things, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of guys have told me, like, uh, wow, I can't believe all this sexual harassment and astronomy is happening. Like they just had no idea. And it's happening right under your nose. Right. But it's because um, because when you don't have to experience some identity, then you're completely blind to it. Um, and so I have found online several communities that I can connect with, other like-minded people who are fighting for those same rights uh, in mm-hmm. astronomy and in science in general. Um, and, and those are the people that I've really been able to connect with so that I don't feel so isolated and alone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and it seems, too, that speaking of astronomy that's really been the hotbed for a lot of this. There's been so much activism specifically within astronomy. And as a layperson, it surprised me. I mean, I had no idea. Um, But also that tells you a lot about how much I know about the day-to-day workings of (laughs) astronomers. Um, But curious to know why astronomy? So I really think... So, okay.
2: What we have to realize, and this is something that we're going to talk about more tomorrow, is that... Science is not above culture, right? Science is actually deeply entrenched in the culture that we all live in. And that means that there is going to be if there's going to be sexism in society, if there's going to be sexual harassment in society, it's going to happen in science as well. The problem is that we associate science as being this objective, noble, Field where nothing bad can happen because scientists are, you know, so objective and so smart and everything. And of course, they're going to be above that, but they're not. And also, another problem is that, you know, um, in academia in general, not just in science, but just in academia, you have professors who are, you know, they're bringing in millions of dollars in grants and they have tenure. So it's really hard to get them fired and you're, they're more powerful and you have these younger grad students or undergrad students sometimes that have no power and they are not as important to the universities um, as these professors are. And so we have a community that's actually willing to talk about these issues. So starting, I think, with that Inclusive Astronomy Conference and even much before, there are members of the astronomy community who have been fighting this all along. And when that story broke out, our community rallied together on social media so that um, Jeff Marcy would get fired because you know, in, in the midst of all this, you know, it came out that the Title IX investigation that he went through, uh, they found him in violation. He had harassed several students, undergraduate students, um, and more than, than we even know about. And the University of California, Berkeley said, well, the next time you do something like this, you might get fired. And our community was outraged. And so the people in this community really fought through social media, a lot of the younger people, um, and, and putting pressure on journalists and putting pressure on um, on departments and agencies. And, and that's why you're hearing about it. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's not happening in other places, it's that we're speaking out. And that's actually a good sign because it means that we're having these open discussions. Um, and so hopefully other fields will, will also
1: follow that example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask more about Jeff Marcy. So he was, he's what, an exoplanet researcher? Is that what, okay. Um, and when news broke that he had been harassing women, and this had been going on for a decade, which he described as just misunderstandings, you know, just plain and simple, Um, it was really greeted as, like, an open secret. Like, people had known about what was going on with Marcy and these women that he was harassing for years. So we were wondering, how is that kind of willful blindness even possible? Um, So it's possible because,
2: again, because of the culture we live in and the culture of silence that surrounds these... You know, survivors of sexual assault and sexual mm-hmm. harassment. So you have, a, first of all, there's a power imbalance. This thing is actually quite planned out. There's something that um, in the women in astronomy blog was called um, the harasser's playbook. So I mean, it's kind of like grooming victims, and mm-hmm. it's, it's always this power, huge power imbalance, where the person who's doing the harassing um, has a hold on your career somehow, and. Um, They are afraid to report because if they report, then it gets dragged, you know, through the media or, you know, in the community, in these small communities, you need recommendation letters from your advisors. If this guy is your advisor, you're not going to succeed in the field. And that's why a lot of women end up leaving. Um, And so that culture of silence, you know, it's going to affect my career. Other people are not going to believe me. It's it's a symptom of the larger cultural problem. And um, astronomy is a huge field. There are lots of different subfields, but my particular subfield is exoplanets and so i had been warned about this guy you know years ago and and someone told me through this underground information um you know don't be alone with this guy at a conference if you ever see him like you know try to stay away from him because he's dangerous um Mm -hmm. and so i i never had to meet him fortunately i guess um but but that was something that all the women knew because they're handing out this information to each other to protect each other. Mm -hmm. But the men, you know, by definition, never hear about it. So it's, it's this, the whole system that allows these problems to happen. And then, um, you know, we have to come up with ways to protect each other. Um, But it's, it's not effective. It's it's not good Mm -hmm. enough, right? Mm -hmm. So...
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it gets, uh, I mean, the whole thing is connected to this culture of victim blaming and you needing to protect yourself and keep yourself away from this guy who's still in a position of power, which is so messed up.
1: Yeah. Well, I also, I want to jump off of that concept because we were talking in our Uber here or Lyft, sorry, it's <laughs> Lyft, uh, our Lyft here <laughs> um, about, I wonder if it's a generational thing because I'll, you you have the same sexism and the same harassment. But all of a sudden, you have all of these women in the past year or so really starting to speak out mm-hmm. and say, not only is this not okay, but we're going to hold you accountable, versus the advice columnist who wrote for, I think it was Science? Yeah. Science Magazine? Oh, yeah. Who, uh, yes. And uh, somebody wrote in and said, you know, I'm, I'm being harassed. Uh, I'm, you know, my boobs are getting stared at at the office. Like well, I'm experiencing all this stuff. What do I do? And the advice columnist said, well... <laughs>
0: And this was a woman writing. Yeah, yes. it's not a
1: dude. And the lady person said, you know, just deal with it. You just part have of, to put up with it. It's part of the job. It's part of the industry. You know, you, you should just put up or shut up. And so, like, what's going on there? Is this a generational thing? Mm-hmm. Or, or what do you feel like is behind part of this shift? So I think that social media plays a hugely important role because...
2: And Twitter especially, Twitter is actually the social media platform that best represents the demographics of the U.S., right? So other social media platforms like Reddit. Um, You have a bunch of, you know, men who are between the ages of, like, you know, 16 and 35 or whatever, and white men. And they dominate the conversation. Whereas on Twitter, you have, you know, more diversity, and so you get more voices heard. So traditionally, women did not have a platform to speak. Minorities did not have a platform to speak. And now social media is providing that. So it's not that these conversations weren't happening before. It's that no one was listening. Mm -hmm. And social media provides a platform for people to actually, you know, those voices get amplified.
0: Can you talk a little bit about some of those campaigns, the ones that have stood out to you as extremely effective?
2: Yeah, so absolutely this Jeff Marcy case. I feel like most people have heard about that, even people who are not at all in touch with astronomy. So that was a really big one. Um, After that story broke... Astrosh was the hashtag that people used, um, and it was so it stands for sexual harassment, and people were talking about it. People were coming out with their own stories, supporting you know the victims and mm-hmm. and trying to get this guy fired and our community put so much pressure, not just on the University of California, Berkeley, but also on the journalists who were writing headlines sympathizing with Jeff Marcy, who were writing content that, you know, his, they were quoting his wife for some reason as like a legitimate source of information. And
0: that was um, in the New York Times.
2: Yeah. And yeah. so our community, Did not stop. I mean, I'm part of this Facebook group that's um, it's for equity and inclusion in physics and astronomy, and all the people in there were like, we're writing a letter. Like, who's going to sign it? Who's going to help us help us draft it? You know? um, Or we're over here on Twitter, like talking about this. Like, everybody, like get on board. And so we really organized, um, and and there were some key people doing those that organization too. And so AstroSH, I mean, it has had a a, a huge reach, not just for that case, but more recently there was a case of uh, a sexual harassment. Title IX investigation that happened um, about Tim Slater. and This happened like 10 years ago or something, but now he's at a different university. He was also found in violation. Now he's at a different university doing really well and getting paid and everything because um, that information was either not disclosed or dismissed. So he was found in violation. Then his next employer either knew the information and didn't do anything about it or just straight up didn't know. So recently, uh, Representative Jackie Speier, uh she's a representative from California, she heard about this through this hashtag. I think it was actually her staffers who informed her about it. And she's now proposing legislation that's going to make these Title IX investigations, at least in the state of California, transparent so that that information becomes public right the, the conclusions of the investigations become public and that at, you know to force universities to share that information with a future employer of the perpetrators and that that would be huge because currently it's you know you have a timeline investigation and then nothing happens mm-hmm. I mean literally a slap on the wrist and sometimes not even that.
0: I mean, that's incredible, though. I mean, I feel like hashtag activism is dismissed a lot of times. It's like, oh, that's so cute, you little hashtag, fun. But, I mean, these things are creating actual political institutional changes. It's incredible.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the people who complain about it are usually the people who don't need it. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, if if you're a white dude and you see yourself represented everywhere, like, of course you don't see the purpose of it, but I, I actually, for people who normally don't have a voice, it's a huge deal.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that divide is also, I mean, speaking of the New York times, it's reflected in our mainstream regular media that you have. I mean, if you, you need to look at who's in your newsrooms and who is then covering issues like sexism and science. And then that colors how those stories come out. And then of course people who aren't in science, They are reading these mainstream media outlets, and and that is informing their opinion of what's going on. Exactly. You do whatever it takes to make sure your business runs efficiently, but constant trips to the post office can get in the way. With Stamps.com, you'll be able to spend less time at the post office and more time growing your business. That's because
0: Stamps.com makes mailing and shipping easy. You use your own computer and printer to buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or any package. Stamps.com basically does all the thinking for you. And you can join over half a million small businesses that use Stamps.com and never go to the post office again. And right now, you can sign up for Stamps.com and use our
1: promo code STUFF to get a special offer. It's a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in stuff. That's Stamps.com. Enter stuff. And now, back to the
0: show. Speaking of mainstream media, so there was... A uh, a Wired article um, headlined uh, 2015 was the year we really started caring about sexism and science. And there are a couple parts that really jumped out to me um, because this really is a new thing that even science journalists are talking about you know that's why we wanted to talk about science communication because we've been hearing a lot of these issues within academia but it's also an issue in the information that we're hearing about it and how it's being reported and may i quote from the wired article Please. um whoop, there it is okay so they interviewed Deborah Bloom, who is a science journalist and also director of the Knight Science Journalism Program at MIT. So this woman knows what she's talking about. And she said, quote, I don't think we saw these kinds of news stories and saw this kind of reaction in the journalism community in earlier generations. We're all catching up to this kind of cultural awareness. And then later on, The Wired writer had to say, yeah, I mean, and also if we look at Wired, this is what I have to also own up to the fact that we have only sporadically covered this issue as well. And the writer said, we've been silent on many of these stories because we've long hoped to cover the ways that science can make the world better, not reflect the world's problems. But that's wrong, of course, and ignoring social inequality doesn't fix it.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I also think there, I I mean, I didn't read the article, but there's also the issue of when you have science represented by white men, right, Mm -hmm. then the other people who participate in science are not as important because they're not as numerous. And so why would you report on things that don't affect your white male audiences or don't affect most scientists, right, because they're mostly composed of white men? So I think there's there's that branch of it, too. I think that Mm -hmm.
1: affects it.
0: Well, and going to something that you talked about earlier in terms of people assuming, oh, well, science is so objective. You know, they're so smart. Like, these these kinds of issues are totally separate. And I think it's that idea of almost like church and state of like, oh, these, like, human-y feelings things like sexism are, like, over here and, like, separate from science because those are facts. Right. And that's logic. And they don't belong together. And, and that sentiment is also, I mean, almost reflected in this Wired article. Um, so I'm kind of wondering... Wondering what your response is when people, if when people say, like, sex, talking about sexism has no place in science communication. We should be talking about science, right? I
2: love the story of how in the U.S. there was, you know, federally funded, there were federally funded experiments and studies set out to prove that certain races were inferior, to other races, namely the Caucasian race, right? So there were scientists who were taking skulls of different um, races of human beings and they were filling the skulls with beans or peas or something so that they could measure the volume and say, okay, see, this one has a bigger uh, volume of the skull, so therefore their brain is bigger, so therefore they're smarter, therefore they're better, of a race, right? Right. Um, What they didn't say is that they're... And they literally believed that this was an objective experiment. And then you realize, well, they used smaller-bodied skulls for the women and for the other races. And they preferentially selected skulls uh, from larger-bodied people to represent the Caucasian race. And then you want to tell me that science is objective and, you know, scientists don't bring their own biases into it. I mean, it's absolutely true. And that's, that wasn't that long ago. And this is, again, federally funded experiments to do this. So it was like legitimate science. And, and I just, I always point that out. Like, you can't, you can't just use science as, you know, you're the arbiter of truth when it's human beings who are conducting the science. Right. Human beings who grow up with all these biases that we get in societies. So.
1: Yeah, it goes back to gatekeeping. Not only who are the journalists covering the the press releases and and the new discoveries, but also who is doing the experiments. And so uh, I think it's easy for a lot of people, white guys in science, uh, to
0: dismiss the hashtag. Notion. Not all men. Hashtag. hashtag not, not all, all, all white male scientists.
1: <laughs> Uh, but it's easy for a lot of people mm, to poo-poo the idea that we need more women or people of color mm-hmm. or trans scientists um, because, you know, why? Why? It's just science. It's objective. But, you know, what, do people approach you with these thoughts and ideas, and what do you tell them? Yeah, no, how absolutely. can
0: diversity possibly make science any better, facts <laughs> or facts? All you need is a microscope, right?
2: So <laughs> right? I, I think an interesting idea is that diversity initiatives have been around since, like, the 70s, right? I mean, they... You looked around and they're like, there are only white dudes in science, or and you know other areas as well. And the fact is, you know, when you look at it today, those um, those initiatives have largely benefited white women because mm-hmm. you know you have a bunch of white dudes and you tell them you have to diversify and they're like, okay, we'll take women, but that means just white women, right? Um, so it's just sort of like we just have to do the bare minimum here we can't include women of color we can't include you know trans uh, people or, or gay people um, because it's just like if we're going to include anyone let's at least keep the race homogeneous or whatever so um, I just think you know people who don't understand that um, it's, it's really hard to get them to see otherwise but um, I, I like to bring that example up as you know an example of It's, it's just not, that's just not the way it works.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was even, uh, I don't know when it was reported, but not long ago in the New York Times on how there is finally being attention paid to all of the mice and lab rats, which are usually like the, human analogs. You know, so many studies are conducted on them, but they're almost exclusively male rats because of the assumption that female hashtag rats... not all rats. Hashtag not all rats or mice, you know? <laughs> under the assumption that those female rats and their own lady brains... Oh my god, those hysterical rat uteruses? Yes. But legitimately that their hormones would throw off studies. And we've seen the same kind of thing uh, in human studies, especially for biomedical research. Oh yeah, I would just
1: like to insert that the female viagra you guys read about how it was tested on men i would like to just insert that as an example
0: continue please now i'm just now i'm off female viagra that's on viagra what? Um, but there's only in like the past couple years been attention to that and i mean things like oh pain medicine huh that impacts Female bodies different yeah. than male bodies maybe we need to to work on that and that's incredible i mean we're talking about science right but we're still like catching up in really really basic ways but thanks to this kind of activism yeah. yeah so who are
1: some of the people that we should be following on social media besides you i mean we already follow you <laughs> Uh, people we should be following on social media, but also maybe some great hashtags that are doing a really good job, particularly good job of raising awareness, and maybe just people that we should be aware of who are in this community having these conversations. That's like a multi-layer question, sorry. <laughs> no, well,
2: I I do want to talk about that because these are people who have heavily influenced me and, and taught me just everything um, in the last year or so. Um, so the first person I want to mention is uh, Dr. Shonda Prescott-Weinstein. She's the 63rd black woman to have a phd in astrophysics in the history of the united states okay and which is just mind-blowing that that there's that few black women being awarded phds um in astronomy and she is just amazing i mean she's she's an activist she talks about um race and sexism in science um she talks about um you know heterosexism uh just all kinds of things. She's amazing. And I just, I just learned so much from her and she has a blog actually. Um, and one of the things that she was, she was one of the first people to say this when the Jeff Marcy story broke out. Uh, she pointed out that maybe the only reason that we care about these sexual harassment cases is that they affect white women. You mm-hmm. know, and she talked about how we have a title IX office on every university campus in this country. Where's my title IV office? You know? Where? Um, is the office that's going to handle racism on these campuses. And some people might be like, well, you know, sexism leads to terrible things. It might lead to rape or murder. Um, But actually... Uh, racism does as well. And we're not addressing those things. And we're seeing all the violence that comes out of racism now uh, with a lot of social media and how people have been reporting um, police brutality and all those things. So I think it's just as important. And, and she's one of the people who's at the forefront of like, hey, we need to make this issue intersectional. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she has a blog, uh, on Medium and she talks about just all of these things. You're going to learn so much. You should definitely follow her. Um, also, Sarah Tuttle, she's an astronomer here in Austin at UT. Um, and so she, she's great. She also talks about um, sexism from an inter- intersectional approach in science. Uh, Jessie Shanahan is a PhD. Uh, you know, she's a grad student at Wesleyan, and she talks about all kinds of isms in science, but uh, she's also a huge disability activist, Mm -hmm. so I learn a lot from her. Um, As an able-bodied person, I feel like we just don't see the world the same way, and we're blind to a lot of things, and that's something that's super important. I also want to give a shout-out to Dr. Judaita Eisler. She's another black woman with a PhD in astrophysics from Yale, first black woman from Yale to graduate with a PhD in astrophysics, ever which is also an atrocity and an accomplishment at the same time. Mm -hmm. And she has a... a monthly vlog. It's like a Google Hangout and she brings in other women of color from science, technology, engineering and mathematics and she interviews them and they talk about great things. So it's been a great thing for me and for other women of color in science but I think also just for other people um, for visibility. If you want to learn about other women who are currently scientists and women of color you should definitely watch this Google Hangout that she has. It's called Vanguard STEM and she's also on Twitter
0: as well. So you had mentioned earlier, um, when we were kind of talking about the generational shift, um, and the silencing effect and the risk of kind of going forward with claims of sexual harassment or gender discrimination, racism, et cetera. And now we are seeing, you know, so much more conversation, especially through social media and Twitter about that. And I was wondering if there is still that risk of backlash or if Twitter and technology and kind of the visibility and community building that they provide, if that's sort of provided an insulating effect to that?
2: So, unfortunately, uh, this is a field that is very slow to change. So, I do think that. Um, that there is probably retaliation. Like, there's still fear of retaliation, of course. But the more people who come out and counter this culture of silence, the easier it is for other women behind them and other other people behind them um, who experience all of these isms um, to come out and have a voice for themselves. Um, Killer Mike was talking about earlier how he wants to be a voice um, for people who don't have a voice. And I feel I feel the same way. I mean the people, um the women who came out in the Jeff Marcy investigation chose to have their names attached to that media piece. They chose to have their names attached to that Title IX investigation publicly. Mm-hmm. And they have gotten death threats, rape threats, um and all kinds of, you know, horribleness. But they've also had, you know, a lot of support from our community. And so, um, you know... Their brave actions are what, you know, empower other women to do this. And I think really the only way is to talk about it. But I don't fault women who don't come forward because, you know, your career's on the line. It's easy for me to talk about this knowing that I'm leaving research and I don't, you know none of these people have anything over me. And, you know, I'm going to get my PhD and then I'm going to go do something else. But when you're staying in that community mm-hmm. and you need to do your research and you need to get recommendation letters and you need to have people supporting you, I can completely understand why they wouldn't come forward with those kinds of things. So hopefully this will... I mean, I know that we're progressing in the right direction. Um, hopefully, you know, faster rather than slower. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, and oh, the irony that... Science is so slow to change. and that kind of (laughs) the opposite of how that should be? I mean, is there... What do you think it will take, though? I mean, obviously, it will take more than hashtag activism and things like that. But what do you think it will take to, to make it not such a hostile environment for not just women, but people of color, disabled people, et cetera?
2: So... Right now, a lot of the young people are taking up these causes. I mean, even being outspoken on social media is a risky move. Mm-hmm. If you're a young person, you know, if you're a postdoc or, like, a grad student and people find out about it, you might not have a good career. So I think, honestly, the onus is on the professors, people with power, people who have tenure. Um, and and really, I, I think... The white men in this profession, if they want to see astronomy going forward and um, being successful and having more discoveries and everything, then really the onus is on them to start these changes, to, you know, educate yourself about the issues and about who's getting left behind and, you know, trying to make a change. And I actually see that happening now because more people are talking about it and it's more visible. You know, departments are coming under fire. You know, University of California, Berkeley is definitely under fire um people are starting to pay attention to like save their own asses um and i think it's it's really going to take those people in the higher places because they're the ones with the power right and the younger people are going to continue to change things and 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 push through uh but as long as those people remain in power and want to do nothing about it then that's change is going to be so slow Mm -hmm. it'll happen still eventually but it'll just be too slow
0: so what can we non-scientists do? <laughs> you know, like because it affects us at some point, it trickles down to all of us. Absolutely. I mean,
2: you know, there's this image that this that society has about what a scientist looks like, and that image gets passed around through media, um, and it gets passed down to younger children who then don't believe that they can be a scientist because they don't, they're not, they don't play the part, right? <laughs> Um, so I think talking about it and, like, sharing this information, supporting the people who are on the bad side of this, you know, the, the victims of the sexual harassment, um, if you talk about it on your own social media pages with these hashtags, it gets the information out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these scientists who are committing these crimes, really, because if it's sexual assault, uh, it's a crime, and they're, you know, that's another story, but these people are paid by your tax dollars, the money that comes, that pays these professors comes largely from the big agencies like the National Science Foundation, NASA, um, the National Institutes of Health, um, the Department of Energy. This is all taxpayer money. And so we should all care about this and, and try to spread this information so that
1: future generations don't have to live with this. Absolutely. Woo. <laughs> is there is there anything else that you want our audience to know about you or your efforts? Yeah, where STEM? should we go? Yeah, and, and also tell them, yeah, how to find you. <laughs> okay, well,
2: um, my Twitter handle is at JazTronomy, so J-A-Z-Z-T-R-O-N-O-M-Y. I can actually spell it this on the screen. So you can follow me, and I, I post a lot on Twitter and everything, um, but... Uh, I, I try to do as much as I can. So, I mean, I'm, I'm one person, but as much as I can, I, I like to um, try to support people like me. Because, mm-hmm. honestly, the motivation that I have is that I went through this really hard thing that not a lot of people... I mean, 90% of people in this country will never get a graduate degree, will never get a PhD. And that was that was really hard for me. So I, I knew what it was like, and I didn't want anybody else to go through that. So I turned around and I started... Um, a graduate mentoring program in my de- just in my department, um, where like older grad students will mentor younger grad- or incoming grad students, and right now we're seeing, ironically, a lot of problems come up. Right, mm. and um, you know people are going like, where you know why are we having all these problems now? And and I'm going, you know, these problems existed before but they flew under the radar and you know people were suffering silently. But now that we have something in this department where uh, students can actually talk to someone who will understand where they're coming from, that's why these problems are surfacing. And it's a good sign because it means that people are talking about it and now we can address those issues. So um, I don't know. I want to take, take that message. I want to um, reach out to communities of color, people who are not represented in science, and encourage them to go into STEM. Um, which is a double-edged sword because I'm, like, funneling them into a system <laughs> where they might, you know, encounter a hostile environment. But I think empowering empowering these people, too, and letting them know, like, hey, science is just like the rest of the world. There's going to be sexism. There's going to be racism. There's going to be ableism, you know. Um, and letting them know, like, here's how you empower yourself. Here's how you fight that. Um, you know, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it because you can. And And having, like, for me, getting a Ph.D., like, Being an immigrant and a woman of color and and getting that far, I can turn around and say, you know, I did it and you can do it as well.
0: And one last thing, uh, since this is stuff mom never told you, um, even though the name might suggest otherwise, we do like to give mom (laughs) shout-outs. And one thing that you shouted out in your TED Talk was how your mom kind of accidentally raised you as a (laughs) scientist. I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because I love that story so much.
2: Yes, oh my gosh. Okay, so uh, a lot of you may not know this, but, like, Latina culture is just... The mother is basically she's like the boss of the house, and um, Latin women are just so empowered, um, and my mom raised me that way. she was, you know really tough and everything, but she raised me to believe that I could really do anything. And, uh, and you know, when I, I guess I, I t- I'll tell the story again, but when I was young, I would, um, even really like three or four years old, my mom would tell me, like, go clean your room or, you know, go tidy this up or something. And I wouldn't do literally anything until she would sit down and explain to me why I had to do it. <laughs> And, um, and sometimes she would cry. Like, she's told me, like, I would cry because I'm sitting here, like, for an hour, you know, arguing with a three-year-old about why she should clean her room. But the thing is, you know, she sat down and she did that. She knew that, like, I mean, she knew from experience that grounding me wasn't going to do anything. I was still not going to follow her orders or whatever. Um, so she did what she knew worked for me. A lot of parents wouldn't have done that, you mm-hmm. know. I, you know. I know a lot of people who would not have done that. And I just think that her reinforcing that, like, my questions were important and they deserve to be validated. And, you know, I didn't have to take no for an answer. I didn't have to just be satisfied with any answer that people wanted to tell me, you know. Mm -hmm. That really, that's what science is. Science is, you know, having a question and just pursuing it and failing and trying again until you get the right answer. And so I think that really is one of the biggest reasons that I'm a scientist today. Yes, I love that.
0: Thank you. And thanks, Nicole's mom.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, mom.
0: Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, we're really
1: excited that you're doing what you're doing. We're so excited to see what you do in the future. And we're really glad you're in Atlanta because we're going to hang out. Oh, She's so fun,
0: (laughs) y'all. Please give it up for Nicole. Thank you. So there you have it, folks. Thanks so much to everyone who came to the show. Huge thanks to Nicole Cabrera, who I am convinced is going to change the world. Yeah, Nicole
1: is amazing. And we're as we said in the show, we're super excited to see where she takes her
0: science education career. And we're hoping that we'll be able to take our live show to other places at some point. I know that we've talked about it and longingly posted on social about where we should go if we were to have a live show. So it is top of mind for us because, again, we love meeting you all, whether it's for lady drinks like we've been doing in some cities or live shows. So if you are a group and can bring us to your city or if you run a venue and can bring us to your city, let us know. CNC are down to travel. So drop us a line at momstuff at com, And of course, we also want to hear your thoughts on everything we talked about in that live show on sexism and science communication. So momstuff at howstuffworks.com again is our email address. You can also tweet us at momstuff podcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well,
1: I have a letter here from Cecilia in response to our adult coloring books episode, which we have received so many emails about. You guys really like your coloring, which I kind of love. Okay, so Cecilia says, As someone who does not partake in adult coloring now, I did not anticipate that I would relate so much to the episode, but I do, so here goes. My mom began teaching art in the early 70s and subsequently built her career on researching and teaching about the history and practices of art education. So of course my brother and I grew up on Susan Stryker's anti-coloring books. I remember feeling frustrated by the blank spaces and I often simply colored in the illustrated vignettes and moved on to the next page. I cherished the single normal coloring book I owned, a Barbie fashions book, but I spent a lot of time drawing my own fashion models as well. Though I kind of loathed them, in retrospect, I think the anti-coloring books were a positive influence on my creative development. I believe that drawing versus coloring improves visual literacy and helps kids build confidence. Through my own experience teaching art, I find that most kids show more joy and higher self-esteem after creating self-directed works of art, as opposed to completing a predetermined project, the traced hand turkey, for example. Aw, oh, why are we got to hate on the traced hand turkey? I still draw those. Ah, she goes on to say, As for adults, I agree that coloring in between the lines is probably more of a sedative than a stimulant. In college, where I earned my BFA, my friends and I would de-stress at night by smoking weed and coloring in our dorm. While I imagine that I would still enjoy this activity today, I feel obligated to put any free creative energy into making art, a practice that always suffers because of my job and other responsibilities. Thanks again for the episode and for the welcome distraction your show brings to my hours working as an
0: art framer. Well, thank you, Cecilia. Well, I've got a letter here from Marilyn, who is all about some adult coloring books, which... Caroline, whenever I hear the phrase adult coloring books, it does sound like something naughty. Oh, for sure. Oh, without a doubt. (laughs) Um, But Marilyn writes, I just finished listening to your episode on adult coloring books. and I had to roll my eyes a little at the fuss over coloring books, stunting creativity by being a, quote, mindless activity. As someone who does have other creative hobbies like crochet and fiction writing, I can definitely say that my coloring books, one of which I was working on while listening to the episode, aren't making a creatively stagnated robot out of me. Coloring may not be as demanding as other pursuits, but I'd argue that that's what's so great about it. It allows people to exercise a simple, low-stress creativity without the real or perceived pressure to make something perfect. Talking to people with creative pursuits like writing or art, one of the most common threads you'll find is the anxiety and dissatisfaction over imperfect finished products. Not that I'm speaking from experience or anything. With coloring, you get to exercise the same creative impulse, but without fear of the world crashing down around you if you color outside the lines or that shade of orange doesn't work as well as you thought it might. Coloring is certainly more engaging than a lot of the games I play on my tablet to kill time or procrastinate. And yet at the same time, it doesn't require me to have my brain at 100% at all times and offers a restful and harmless activity to keep my hands busy while I process the rest of my day. As always, great podcast and I look forward to future episodes, some of which I will definitely listen to while coloring. So thanks so much, Marilyn. And thanks to everyone, all of you who've written about coloring, especially so many coloring uh, letters and photos. We love to see your coloring photos. Um, And for all of your other emails, momstuff at howstuffworks.com is our email address. And to keep up with all of our social media links, blog posts, videos, and podcasts with our sources so you can learn more about sexism and science communication, you should head on over to stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. com.